Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Thank you, Miss Dolly. Please give her a hand this morning. And I want to thank you, uh, first of all, all of you for joining us here in person and joining us online this morning. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, today is our family service, fifth Sunday. And we're enjoying having the, uh, the young people with us in this, in this room today, and it's exciting. But we also enjoy it because we get to hear some great stories, right? And that's just kind of, some of you, this, this is for the kids, right? And you're enjoying it as much or more than they are. And so we're so thankful. Uh, but I'm thankful for our workers. Miss Dolly's one of them, others. Would you give all of our children's workers a hand? Calvary has, has had a, a history of wonderful children's ministry, and it still today is one of those I, I, would, I would love to have my kids in the ministry of Calvary because of what our children's workers do. So thank you for all that you do, and I know you parents appreciate that. And I, I also will say that if, this is an, if you're still looking for an area to serve, children's area could be that place for you. And you say, well, I'm not a teacher, and there's so many other ways you can work within children's ministry. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for a place, to consider that, that ministry and see what God would do in the lives of kids through you. All right, so this morning, I want to take some time. We're talking about a topic here in our services called transformed. And the word transformed, it literally means to change, but change almost to the point where it's completely unrecognizable from what it started. For instance, the picture of a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. We call that in science metamorphosis. Well, the word metamorphosis is this word in Greek, transformed. It's the idea of something being changed. And God is in the process of changing his children over the time of our life, seeing that just that transformation happening in us until ultimately we see him face to face. And God is doing that. And according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, he has called us to have a part in that. Here's a verse we've been looking at. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Say it with me. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so we're looking at the, the last few chapters of the book of Romans, and I believe it describes this whole transformation process, the way God is changing us. But to do so, he's talking about renewing our minds. The part that we have is that word renew, it means to renovate. You, you might even say remodel. There's, there's thinking in our minds that needs to be changed, needs to be renewed, needs to be remodeled, if you would, so that we can see God, do, see this transformation happen within us. And so we're looking at those renovation principles, ways that we need to be renewed. So we're in Romans chapter 12. Today we pick up with verse number 9. And you recognize this. Miss Dolly just read this earlier. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. All right, so what we're learning in these first couple weeks of this renewal process one thing that we, we pointed out last week, and I want to make sure we grab again, that this whole idea of, of transform, we live out our transformed lives, and here's what we learn. We live it out in connection with other believers, or you could say in community. 
This isn't meant to be a Lone Ranger kind of idea where you're just figuring this all out on your own. God has put us within a a family of believers to help us learn, to help us grow, and to help us to to find the way that he wants us to to live for him. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about transformed by being renewed in our love, that our minds need to be renovated and, and it comes to, when it comes to what we think about love, or it needs to be changed in the way that we think about what this word love truly means to us. And so here's, here's the key. We start in verse number nine. Love must be sincere. Say those four words with me. Love must be sincere. Now, it's interesting, that phrase, if you look, the language that it was written in, there really, there's actually no verb in that phrase. So it really could just say the sincere love or love sincere. That's really what the, the words are. So most people believe this is kind of a, a title, if you would, for the rest of this chapter or maybe even the rest of the next several chapters themselves is that we're talking about sincere love. And this is how he describes or This is how he's going to tell us what sincere love really looks like. But let's talk about that word love for just a minute. We've, we had a great example, and uh, I, I don't I wonder where my chocolate kisses are. I've missed them in both services, you know. But anyway, besides that, the idea of, of this, this, this principle of, of love that we, we know, I mean, we hear the word love a lot. People sing about love and write poems about love and, and you, you, oh, I, I love you. And it's just that we, we see this understanding. It's not something unfamiliar to us, but what is it? What is sincere love that he's talking about. Obviously, the Bible uh, makes it very clear that love is an important biblical word also. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus, when he was asked about uh, the importance of things to do and what God expects, he summarized it all down into a couple of phrases that were centered around that word love. For instance, Matthew 22, Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your Mind, right? That, that mind is so important. You'll love God with everything you have, right? That's, and he said, this is the greatest commandment. But then he quickly said, and the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Two greatest commandments. Everything hangs on those two, he said. So love is really important. But then later, Jesus, when he was the, one of his last nights or the last hours before he goes to the cross... He's gathered his, his closest disciples together in a room, and he's giving some final instructions. And in that, John 13, verse 34, this is what he said to them, a new commandment I give you. Look, what does he say? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you should also love one another. And then he's going to show them in a few hours when he's on the cross, exactly how big this loving one another is and what it means to love the way he's going to show it. But here it is. Love God. Love your neighbor. And now when he's talking even to his, his followers, his disciples, love one another. But the very next verse, he says, and this is why it's so important. Verse 35, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He, he actually says, Christians... The world needs to know God's love. And he says one of, the, one of the premier ways they're going to know God's love is when they see his love in us. Here's a question that kind of challenges me. Maybe you can think about it. In my life this week, 
will, my, will the way I portray love show Jesus? Will people see God in the way that I show love to them and to others? That's what he said. That my love that should be in you in such a way that others see me when they see the way that you love. That's how important this word is. Love so that others can see God in us. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this love renewed, and, and I think we talk about it in these verses. But before we do, I don't want to miss something. There's a context here that I think is really important for all of us in church to get to grab a hold of. And, and that is, when we were here last Sunday, we talked about the, connecting with the body, connecting with all the other believers. And he says in verse number five, he said this, in Christ, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So not only are we not to do this alone, but we're actually supposed to work together. We're all body, parts of the body, and we have things to do. And God says, I, I want you to participate because that helps the body be what it's supposed to be, right? All of those things we talked about. And then after he says that, if you have this gift, do this, do this, do this. And then the very next word he says is the word we're at today. The very next word is love. You have a gift you're supposed to use in the church, use it, use it. And then he says Love must be sincere. It's interesting that he said something very similar in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, his friend's there. He tells him, chapter 12, all about these gifts and how you're supposed to use your gifts and your gift's important, my gift's important, your gift's important. In fact, they're not, no more important gifts. We're all, there's all the part. In fact, God puts the pieces together because he knows what this church needs, so he's going to put people there, and it's important that you're doing your gift because if not, then something's wrong, the body's not functioning. All these things are important. He says it in chapter 12, and then it's, it's almost like he stops, he interrupts himself, because he's going to pick up the thought of gifts again in chapter 14. But he interrupts himself with what many people believe to be the most famous chapter in all the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard parts of it at weddings, right? Because it's called the love chapter. The love. I just have to say it that way. The love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13. But it's right after he talks about all the gifts. And then he stops his thought and he talks about the importance of love. In fact, here's what he says at the beginning of that chapter, verse 2. He said, if I have the gift of, and I stopped there because he, around those verses, he, he lists at least five of the gifts. Well, it's a gift of, of faith, the gift of tongues, the gift of, of giving, even not just giving, but giving sacrificially. He says, if I have the gift of, and you fill in the blank, whatever your gift is, whatever your ability is, if I have the gift of, but do not have love, what does he say? I am nothing. His point is this, and he, he repeats it in Romans chapter 12. You have this gift, and you're to use it. But if you use your gift, and it's not in love, it, it gains nothing. It means nothing. The gifts are so important, and God wants us to use our gifts. But he says, I want you to use them with love. I want, you to, I want love to be the thing that drives everything that you do is this idea for love for me and, and love for others. It means nothing without it, right? So that's how important this love is. But he makes it very clear. Let's go back to our reading, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Look at that word. Love must be sincere. If you're going to have love that we're talking about, and it, it's what's so important, it's got to be sincere love. But what does he mean by that? And that's what we're going to look at today. Let me give you a couple other versions because I think they kind of help us a little bit maybe. Uh, another version says love must be genuine. One version says don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. 
Another one says, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. So now we're trying to get an idea of what that sincerity means. Uh, The Phillips translation says this, let us have no imitation Christian love. It's not about imitating it. And then if you have a King James, it says this, let love be without dissimulation. Now I threw that word in there because it's a big word and it gets your attention because I doubt any of you have used that term in the last year or lifetime perhaps, dissimulation. But it's an important word. In the Bible, it literally is the word hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, we know what a, we, we understand or we use the term sometimes of a hypocrite, saying one thing, doing another. But let me explain how important this is. This word hypocrisy, he's saying love without hypocrisy. But here's what, it just, it's so interesting because that word hypocrisy in the Greek culture, there were actors, there were people who would do, put on plays. And they were referred to as hypocrites because they were playing a part. But the thing that was significant was what made them a hypocrite is that they wore a mask like this, right? I can't can't wear this mask without saying, help me, Luke, I am your father, right? You understand what I'm getting at? You wear a mask, but the point of the mask is to conceal your true identity. The the point of the mask is to not, to, to be something that you're really not. And God says, in your love, get rid of the masks. In your love, love without hypocrisy. Now, what in the world would it look like to love like a hypocrite? What what does he mean by that? How could he say love? Let's think for a minute what that could mean, okay? Love without hypocrisy. Maybe that means you say that you love, but you really don't mean that. You're just saying it because it's the right thing to do or right, people want to hear that and, oh, I love you, but you really don't mean it. It's not from your heart, right? And truth is, when you're away, it really means nothing. You really don't care even. And, and maybe that's not where you're at, but that's, that could be one side. There's a, there's a good example in the Bible of, of love like that. His name was Judas. If you know the story of Judas at all, he was one of Jesus' uh, uh, 12 disciples, spent almost three years with Jesus traveling And then towards the end, he was the one who betrayed Jesus to the authorities. But what was significant about that was how did he betray him? Somebody tell me. He kissed him, showed him a sign of affection, said, I love you, and then turned him over to the enemies. That's, that's, hypocr- that's hypocrisy love, right? That's, that's love that's not sincere. You say, well, I wouldn't do that. Maybe not. But maybe it's a, you say I love, and you mean it to some degree, but then when, when, the thi- when the things get kind of tough, and maybe it's not, you say I love you to their face, but behind their back, or when somebody else is kind of putting them down and you're, you're kind of in an awkward situation, your loyalty of love doesn't stick. And I love you, I love you here, but over here, I, you know, I, I'm not going to say I love you because it doesn't do me well, right? It's hard for me. Ever had that, had that temptation? There's a guy in the scriptures by the name of Peter who understood that. Peter was also one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he was probably one of the three closest to Jesus for all that time. But then when it came time to Jesus being, being arrested and being on trial, Peter had three opportunities to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love him. I'll do for He had three opportunities, and all three times he denied him. When it got tough, he said, I don't, I don't even know who he is, right? Now, that's, that's a hard thing, but what I remember is when Jesus came back and Peter begins to follow him again, 
If you know the story, does anybody know the question that Jesus asked Peter? Peter, do you love me? It all comes down to, is this love genuine or is this just play acting? Are you wearing a, are you wearing a mask or are you truly loving? One other example is maybe you really do, you say I love you to someone or to a group of someones, I, I love you, and you really mean that. You think you have some good intentions, but you never follow through. The actions never follow what you say. I love you, but then you really don't do anything to prove that love to them. Here's the point. Love is to be sincere. Love is to be without the mask. And so what we're going to find is this idea of love that, that we see here. A, a lot of our love that we talk about is because we, we don't feel it. I, I love you, and I kind of mean that, but then as the feelings go away, I, I kind of lose the intensity. I mean, th- here's what we know about love, okay? Think about it with me. I, uh, we use love in so many different ways. I can say today with all confidence, I love my wife, Shelly, beautiful woman back at the computer. I love her, right? And I, I, I love Mike, not the same way I love Shelly, but I love Mike. You get it? You see what I'm saying? We, I, 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 that's true. But then I also, in the same breath, could probably say, and I love Big Macs, right? And I do. And right now I'm hungry, and I love them right now more than ever, right? I love, I love the Chicago, well, I'm not sure I love the. But you understand what I'm getting? We use that term for so many things based on how we feel at the moment, based on what that feeling does for us in the moment. But this word that is used here, love must be sincere, it's a very, very powerful word. In fact, uh, scholars tell us that they used it in the Greek, but the New Testament kind of gave it its own special meaning. It's the word agape. And it's the idea for love that is unconditional, an idea for love that was not based on feeling. It's based on choice. It's not based on emotion. It's based on my will that I will love you. And that's the word he said. We must have a agape love, and it must be sincere. Everything. One writer put it this way. Agape love is not an emotion. It is a mindset. It's how your mind thinks, which takes us back to what we're talking about today. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want to suggest to you, Christians, that just like the Christians here in Rome, we need some renewal in our understanding of love for one another. We need to know what that means. It is possible for us to live without the masks in our love and to really love the way God wanted us to. He wants us to live that way, and so he wants us to renew our minds so that we can And I believe that's what he does pretty much in the rest of the chapters of Romans is just kind of show us what that love looks like. But especially these next few verses we're going to look at today, he kind of hits a bullet list of things that will help us in our renewal of love. And I want to challenge you as we go through these, we're just going to quickly tap on each of these. And as you look at these, just evaluate, is that kind of sincere love a part of my love for other believers, for the, for the body, for the family? Is my love look like this? Because this is how we renew our love. This is what it looks like. Let's start this way. Uh, we'll go back to verse number nine, but he begins with this. Renew our minds in our pursuit of what is good. Let's read verse nine again. Love must be sincere, but the very next phrase is interesting. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, the reason I find that interesting is he uses the word love in the first sentence, and what's the first word of the second sentence? Hate. What what are you talking about, Paul? That seems kind kind of hard. I mean, you've got love, and then you tell us to hate something. 
You say, hate's such a strong word. We shouldn't be worried. Let, let me just encourage you to understand this word hate, it's even stronger than you think. The word that he uses here is a word that we would say abhor. You actually are horrified by the existence of evil. I abhor it. I'm disgusted by it. I detest it. He's saying that's, that's what he says is we should do as followers of Christ, if we're loving sincere, is that we, we actually abhor that which is evil. What it says to us as Christians, we got to be so careful. We live in this world. We live in the culture, the pattern of the world, and it, it becomes so easy to forget that we're different. We're set apart. We're holy. Things should be, and evil should trouble us. Things that are evil should bother us, and sometimes they do, but what I see in my life, and I've seen it in others, is we tend to become a little bit too tolerant of evil, and over time, we change from detesting it to where, you know, at one point, we're abhorred by it to the point of where uh, we don't don't like it too well to when, you know, it's not my favorite to I'm either going to be neutral or maybe I'll just start enjoying it myself, and we find ourselves, it's, it's that whole, if you understand, the frog in the kettle process, right? You take, a, you take a live frog and you put him in boiling water and he's going to jump out. But you take a live frog, you put him in water and you warm the water up behind him and then you get boiled frog legs. You understand what I'm saying? He stays in there. And the point is, Christians, we have to be so careful that we don't allow the pattern of the world to influence where we forget that as God's people, evil should disgust us. It should be something that we, we, we run from, and we should, we should take that in consideration as we're followers of his. But then you say, but how does, what does that have to do with loving one another? How does my sincere love have anything to do with what I think about evil or, or good? Well, let's think about a couple of things. One is, we know that all evil carries with it consequences, sowing and reaping. There are things that are going to come that are not good, that are hurtful, that are destructive. That's what evil does. So one way that I love others is I would not want to bring anything into my relationship with another brother or sister that could put them in the line of collateral damage. Because if, I, if the consequences come on me, and it, it will also hurt you, or it will hurt the family, or it will hurt the church. It, it's a matter of my love for you says I want to live because I want my life to be a to be something that brings good into your life. But also as a believer, when I know that, that, that what you do matters and what, what I want from you is for the very best, and here the very best for you is good. So I want to encourage you in good. I want to be an example of good. I want to detest evil because I know that what you need, what, what's best for you is to do what is good, and I want to be someone that helps you get in that direction. If I truly love others, I'm going to do that. But here's what I know. Look at the, the way this translation says it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Run from evil, but hold on with everything you got. In fact, our translation said cling to that which is good. That's an, actually a marriage term. It's the intimacy of husband and wife. Hold on to each other tightly, right? He says, hold on to truth. Here's what I know. Uh, sometimes the temptation in my life and others is when I know I need to run from evil, here's what I do. I'll make a list of these are all things I can't do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, and to be honest, there are some things that I need to have in my repertoire that say I'm not going to go there. I get it. But what he's saying is one of the biggest ways to run from evil is to hold on to good. I can't do both at the same time. If I'm holding on to good, then I'm automatically turning away from evil. So one of the greatest things he could do is just cling to good, cling to that which is right. And I can't forget the fact that God said, a description of himself is, God is good. So let me just challenge you this. One of the greatest ways you can love your brother and sister in Christ 
is for you to cling to God, for you to draw closer to God. Because as a brother or sister, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a father or mother, as a neighbor, as a, just a fellow church attender, one of the greatest ways you can show love to the others is for you to grow stronger in goodness and to following Christ with your life. And, and that will then influence those around you for good. Does that make sense? Love one another sincerely. Look at the next verse. He says, verse 10, be devoted to one another and love in love and honor one another above yourselves. Here's what I'd say. Renew our minds in our devotion to the family of faith. Miss Dolly covered this a little bit ago about how we're to love one another. Let me just touch on it a little bit here. The first word we saw of love, love must be sincere. We talked about that word agape, and it's, it's a word of, of selfless, uh, unconditional love. It's a word that was often used of the way God loves us and how he then sh- allows us to, to show his love to others. It's that agape love. It's very, very important. But what's interesting is the word that we see here devoted in love is not the same word. It's a different word for love. The word agape, verse 9, verse 10, the word is, well, we would, we would say it in English, Philadelphia. Remember there's a town on the East Coast called Philadelphia? They've got a little slogan. You may finish this. Uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's what Philadelphia means. It means love of brothers. Love, it's a family kind of term. So what he's saying is, and this translation says it, love one another with brotherly affection as you outdo one another in showing love. Love one another in brotherly affection. Love like we're family because we are. If you know Christ and I know Christ, we are truly blood relatives because we've both experienced the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. We are family. We are, we are in this together. God is our father. Christ is our brother according to scriptures. And so are you and I. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Love like family. Now, I know you've got family and not always is, does family get along but they do love. I had two brothers, man, when they were growing up, they could fight like crazy. But then if someone else picked on one, whoo, you had to deal with both of them. Why? Because that's how you love as a family. That's what we do. We love each other with this brotherly affection. We love as family. In fact, and he says, and I love this translation, outdo one another in showing honor. It's not a competition, but it's as if I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to do more than I've ever thought of because I want to show you honor. Because you're my brother. You're my sister. We're family. He says this idea of devoting, being warmly loving to others as the family of faith. Is that how you think of your church family? Are we devoted to our church family in the sense of I think you're my family and I'm going to love you. I'm behind you. I'm with you in whatever we're doing. That's what he's saying. Be devoted to one another as a family of faith. One of the ways that we do that here, and we, you heard it announced earlier, June 6th starts our summer life groups. It's a way to take having a family and, and just seeing them on a Sunday morning to actually getting to know them and getting to love them and, and maybe letting them hold you accountable for things. And, and then maybe sometimes learning how to forgive one another because we're human. Or maybe even learning how to ask forgiveness because we're, we're human, right? And so we're learning what it means to love and to love no matter what. And it's that idea of being devoted to your family of faith, which takes us to verse number 11 he says, never be lacking in zeal as a family of faith. Remember, now he says, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Another way of showing your sincere love is when you renew your passion for serving the Lord together. 
and you recognize we are a family, we are a body. If I'm part of the body, I should be serving because my, my, uh, my member is that important. We're a community. We're not just individuals. We're, we're all together. We have gifts that we should serve. But here he talks about not only serving, not only doing it, but do it with, he uses the word fervor. It's not just the fact that you should serve or that we might, we're part of the body, but that you want to serve. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. It's the idea of serving fervor. In fact, this translation says it, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. As Christians serving together, we should have the Chick-fil-A model, right? It's, it's my pleasure, right? It's my pleasure to serve you, and it's my pleasure to serve side by side with others, his point is that we serve, we serve with everything we have, and we serve it because of who we're serving and who we're serving with. Serve enthusiastically. But beyond serving, look at verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These are, these are powerful words because they all tend to point to when others in the family are having difficulties, whether it's affliction or the, the idea of being patient and then needing to see hope. You see, what we're talking about is renewing our minds in empathy for those who are hurting. When we come together as a family, yes, we are to serve, and we're to serve excitedly, but we also know ones in the family are going to have rough times, and it's about coming alongside them and loving them and caring for them and making sure they know that you're there. It's about choosing to be present with them, to be in, in there so that they, they're not going through this alone. And there's someone there that's not only just saying I'm their family, but I am right beside you going through it. That's what this is. It's renewing that empathy when those are hurting and ultimately you're praying for them constantly. He says to being faithful and faithful in prayer. And, and it's, a, it's a way of seeing, as we'll see later in verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. It's empathy. It's feeling what they feel. That's part of the family and that's how you love sincerely is you let your, your empathy for them come alongside them and help them in any way that you can. And then our final facet, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Renew our minds in our willingness to share with others what God has given to us. Let's talk about that word share for a minute. That's something most of us, I think, learned as we were kids Here's a toy. Yeah, I got to share it. I get that. I got five chicken nuggets. I got to share one with my brother. I mean, we, we heard that, right? Now, you may not remember that as a, as a child, but if you're a parent, I know you remember trying to teach your children that, and it's difficult. It's a, it's a hard lesson for us to learn, but here's something you got to remember. It doesn't necessarily get easier as we get older, does it? Because now the, the stakes are a little higher. It's not my chicken nuggets. It's that paycheck that I worked for. It's my time that's so precious. It's, it's sharing my resources, and it's, in, and, and it's still important. This is written to us. It's still important that we share with others, but it, it, boy, it comes at a, it's, it's like that one kiss versus the bag of kisses. It's, it seems to be harder some days in our life than others. Here's a couple things you need to remember, Christians, adults, as we're learning about this, is number one, none of this belongs to you anyway. None of this came from you. You call it your resources. It really doesn't even belong to you. And you say, well, you don't. I worked hard for this. I know you did work hard, but the Bible tells us Old Testament, God says, don't forget who gave you the strength to work. Don't forget the fact that you're breathing because God says you can breathe. 
Everything you have, all of it is from God. And the second thing to remember is he gives it to us for a purpose. This isn't just some random act that he, whatever he's given us, he's given us to supply our needs, yes, but also then to supply the needs of others. There is probably a reason why you have what you have, and some of it may be simply so that when someone else has a need, you're able to share that as God gives it to you. First John chapter 3, John said this, if anyone has material possessions, where did you get your material possessions from? Remember that, get them from God. So if any of you have some material possessions, and look at this, and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Now, I know I'm paraphrasing this a little, but I kind of hear him saying this. How do you call yourself a Christian and not give when you have the opportunity to do so? How can the love of God be in you if you're willing to do that? Very next verse, he says this, verse 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Well, that sounds a lot like sincere love, doesn't it? Not just my words. I love you, but I love you, and here's how, I, here's how I, you'll know I love you, because I'm going to share, I'm going to help you. And he says also practice hospitality. The word being love of strangers is what the word means, so we got another love word, but it literally means to be willing to open up and to share. They had, this was the whole idea of other, allowing others into your home at that point, which is not as common for us, but it's the same concept that we share, we love, we take care, and it's not just practicing it, but it's actually the word means to pursue it, to see, find ways that I can actually share what God has given me with others. That's what Paul is is trying to tell us in, in these chapters. So here, let's just take a time and let's kind of review what we've talked about because I, I want you to evaluate, right? So let's look at those five areas. What does sincere love look like? Renewed in my love, pursue what is good, be devoted to my family of faith, show empathy for the hurting, serve the Lord passionately, and share willingly with others. Here, here's what I would challenge you to do. Just take the next few seconds and you can use your uh, card if you'd like because there's a way you can do that or you can just think about it. But evaluate those things in your, your current way of, of loving your, your church family, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about this. My guess is that of that list of five things, one or two of those come pretty naturally to you. They're ones that, that the Lord has kind of given you a knack for that. You're kind of good at that. Maybe it is showing empathy. Your, your gift of mercy just kind of overflows. So this is just encouragement. Keep doing it. And God would say that. Keep up what I've helped you to do. So I, my guess is a couple of those, you, you find they're, they're pretty much a part of your life. But I almost guess that at least one of those is one that you're struggling with right now. When it comes to loving others sincerely, one of those might be a little tough. Maybe it is sharing because... You just don't feel like you have enough to share. Or maybe it's pursuing what is good, and you, you found yourself kind of, uh, kind of you know, compromising in that area. What is it? And here's what my challenge is. You and God spend some time about that one or two things this week. God, help me to, to all, because it's, it's not a pick or choose. It's not multiple choice. All five of these are ways that we show sincere love. God, how can you help me to do that this week? But let me get, share one more thing as we wrap this up today. Talking about this sincere love, the last thing I want to share is this. The greatest example of sincere love is God's gift to us when he gave us his son. Now, we've said that already today. It's a statement we want to say in church, but I want to make sure we understand just how critical that is. Think about this with me. Part of the nature of God, 
First John says that God is love. Everything that God does is infused with his love. Even the things we don't understand and we don't, we don't particularly appreciate, it's all smothered. It's all part of because God is love. But then to prove that, he gave us the greatest act of love that was forever that has ever been given and forever will be given. In fact, it's described in perhaps a favorite verse. Many of you know it. You could say it with me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a favorite verse. Whether you know it by heart or you've heard it a lot or maybe it's kind of new to you, one thing I don't want you to miss, don't miss that phrase that he gave his son. Do you understand what that means? He gave his son means that for us who are sinners, dead in our sins, separated from God, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a substitute because of our sins. When he gave his son, he gave Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins. He died on a cross for you. That's what it means when he gave his life. He gave his son's life for you. He literally, the Bible says, was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died in your place. That was the act of love that God gave his son. And then he goes on to say, whoever believes in him, you don't have to worry about perishing. You don't have to worry about what's going to happen to you now because you're one of God's kids. And he promises you have eternal life if you put your faith and trust in him. That's, that's the sincere love that God has given us example. In fact, 1 John 3.16, which I find kind of interesting. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 say very similar things. Here's how he starts 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is. Oh, we do. What is it, John? Because Jesus gave up his life for us. God gave his son, and then his son laid down his life willingly for you. Now, that's what love is all about. That's what sincere love is. You know, this weekend in America, we celebrate Memorial Day. It's a very, I think, a, a very special celebration in the sense that it's actually a remembrance of those who gave their lives so that we could have freedom. The fact that we're even sitting here today can be attributed to those who are willing to die for that freedom. Very appropriate that we recognize them and remember. But in all of this, even as you're thinking of memorial, don't forget the fact that the greatest sacrifice was not given for your American freedom, it was given for your eternal freedom that Jesus died so that you could be free forever and not perish. And that's what Jesus did when God gave his son and he gave his life. That's sincere love. In fact, I want to stop just for a moment and I want you to pause and think with me for a moment. Have you received that gift of love? Whether you're here in person with me, you're online, has there been a point when you recognized that you were a sinner then realize that Jesus died so that you could, you could have your sins forgiven. Have you received that gift of eternal life? As you're thinking about that, could you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? We're going to continue on, but I want to just take this time. Have you think about that? Have I received that gift of eternal life? If not, w would you right now take the time and say, God, I, do, I see it now. I'm a sinner, and, and you love me so much. You sent your son to die for me. 
I believe he did, and I believe I need a Savior. Please save me. Would you call out to him right now? And if you've already been saved, I encourage you to, to word a prayer. God, help those who need you to pray right now to receive that gift. Would you just take a moment and pray to the Father to receive that gift? In fact, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If, that, if, if you did that, if you prayed right then to, to receive Christ, would you just let me know? Just, just to look up at me and, and nod your head or maybe raise your hand and wave at me. Just let me know that you, you prayed to receive Christ. Would you do that this morning? Because the greatest sacrifice was given so that you could have eternal life. And I want everyone in this room to know that before you leave today. Now, if you'll look up at me, let me just wrap this up. 1 John 3, 16. This is what we know real love is because Jesus laid down his life. But the verse doesn't stop there. And I want to make sure now how we tie all this to understand about this sincere love that we're supposed to have. For one another. Look what he says. Jesus gave up his life. So, because Jesus did that, we, that's all of us who have received Jesus, all of us who are followers, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins once for all. He's the only one that could do that. But he said, but I also say that's an example of sincere love that you're to be showing to one another. That you're to show your brothers and sisters that kind of, of love, that sincere love that God wants you to know and wants others to see. What we're going to do on this, this weekend in Memorial Day, we're going to actually remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, the way that he shared with us to do, and that is what we're going to take of the Lord's Supper, communion, together. And we do, we're going to be remembering what Jesus did for us and thanking him for that. But there's one aspect of that that I want to make sure you understand. Sometimes we forget about this. In 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul was explaining uh, the, the idea of the Lord's Supper to the congregation there, he made a very powerful statement. At the end of chapter 11, verse 27, he said, So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That always stops me. I think, wow, that's pretty serious. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be guilty of the blood and body of the Lord. So I, I, what do we do? Well, look at the next verse. He says, so with that in mind, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So I think it's very important. Anytime you take the Lord's Supper, wherever you are, that before you do, you examine. I don't want to take this in an unworthy manner, so I need to examine myself. But it's the next verse that ties it into what we're talking about. Verse uh, he says in verse 29, for those who eat and drink, look at this, without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, what does that mean? Well, I, we've heard it a couple ways. But one, I've heard a lot, and I think it's very important. Don't take this lightly. If you're going to take it to the Lord's Supper, you need to seriously think, this is a giving thanks to God. I need to come examine, make sure I'm not doing, you know, I'm not living in a way that doesn't honor, you know, all that's part of it. But I want you to make sure you hear that three words, the body of Christ. In context, that body of Christ is talking to the church of Corinth. It's talking to the other believers around them. And he says, if we take this without discerning the others in the body of Christ, then we bring judgment on ourselves. In other words, his point is this. One of the greatest ways that we need to examine ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper is, how are my relationships with my other brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I discerning the body? Am I, care, am I showing sincere love 
to others. Obviously, in the church of Corinth, they were having some issue with this. So his point is, you need to show sincerely. So examine yourself. Is there a relationship that needs to be reconciled between you and a brother and sister in Christ? Is there a, a way that you're not showing sincere love that you need to start doing that? Is there a, 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 something within this that God has shown you? He said, so as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. Is there anything between me and the body of Christ, the others within the body, that I need to, to consider, to, to follow up on, to let God change in my life. So with that thought in mind, those are going to help us serve. Would you come and, and uh, begin to serve for us, those that have been identified to help us? If you'll come and, and begin to serve the, these, and, and if, you, if you've been with us the last few months, uh, the, everything is all in, in one package. We have the bread and the juice together. As they just come to you and you take a piece, my, I would ask you if you would just hold on to it for right now. We're going to take it all together in just a moment. But as they're passing out the, the elements, let me read the passage that Paul talks about and what this, this symbol is all about. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this bread and eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we get ready to take of this, I would encourage you to consider what Jesus did for you. Give thanks to him. Even speak to him and just give him honor for what he's done. And then also, as the verse said, examine ourselves, our relationship with him and our relationship with with other believers. So let's take some time quietly as, as we finish passing out the elements and just consider those thoughts this morning.